0: Okay, welcome back to another edition of the Penn State Blitz podcast and the Penn State Blitz video series. I'm Bob Plunders on the podcast this week. Very special guest Dustin Hawkinsmith, who is just a a great ball of fire on the Penn State football beat, especially in the fall. He does a lot of stuff at Penn Live. He does a lot of stuff recruiting year round. He's subbing for Greg Pickle, who's off this week. Uh, Dustin, welcome welcome aboard I hope you don't mind that I called you a great fall of fire but you're a little bit like a ginger like me so that's the first thing that popped into my head just real quick a lot to, not a lot to get to but I want to get Dustin's thoughts on a couple of news items one James Franklin and his reported decision to stay away from his family if football resumes because for health reasons one of his daughters has sickle cell uh, Eric Barron the Penn State president had some comments earlier this week it sounds like, They're not planning for anything close to a full stadium if football resumes and maybe no fans at all. Because Dustin, I don't get to talk to Dustin a lot. I want to get his thoughts on what he thinks about Micah Parsons' likely swan song at Penn State. I believe Dustin has something in the works on incoming freshman quarterback Micah Bowen, a member of this class, talented player, and maybe how that relates to Michael Johnson, a former Penn State quarterback's decision to enter the transfer portal. And we're not going to do a mailbag this week because that's Greg's thing, but we're going to do something. I want to get Dustin's take on what he thinks was maybe the best thing that he read or heard about Penn State's tumultuous offseason to date. <laughs> Dustin, thanks for doing this. Uh, let's start with James Franklin. You know, there was a report out there. He was on uh, HBO Real Sports, and he was asked about uh, football returns, what will that mean for his family? His daughter, Addison, has sickle cell. He said the family, uh, he's, got a, he's got Fumi as his wife and two daughters, Addison and Shola. They're going to stay in Florida. He's going to coach the team and stay at college. So he's going to be apart from his family for all of the football season. Just your thoughts on uh, his decision and maybe what went into that.
1: Yeah, I, I can imagine the family discussion that has to take place to, to really talk about, should we spend three to four months apart? You know i can I can picture my family having that discussion and it not being an easy discussion at all, but in this case, I don't think it's that surprising. I think it's it's a prudent thing to do when your daughter is in a high risk category, and you as a coach are faced with potential travel, spending a lot of time around a lot of different people who I know you know you if you see have seen the footage of the, the last building, what needs to happen for you to enter, your temperature checks, all the stuff that they're doing to take precautions, but at the same time. You cannot, if you're if you're a coach who has to spend that amount of time around players who you hope you can control who they're spending time with, but I don't know if you can always uh, have total control over that. Uh, so if you're a coach in that situation, you can't drive risk down to zero. And if you can't drive the risk down to zero, you can't really risk coming home and bringing anything home on your clo on your clothes, whatever, to somebody who's Im- immune compromised. So. I understand how tough that might have been for his family to to arrive at that decision, but I get it completely.
0: Yeah, I think I think James has always been a guy. He he's always been a guy that kind of really puts his family first, and I think this has been probably weighing on his mind for a while. Once the coronavirus pandemic uh, began to unfold, he had he had talked in spring about some of the challenges of having a daughter, a loved one that has uh, an immune system and a blood disorder, an immune system issue. And I think he's probably been thinking about this for a while. I'm sure it wasn't easy. So we'll see how that plays out. Let's move move ahead, Dustin, to Penn State President Eric Barron. And he was talking about maybe what all might go into a scenario where there is football in the fall, how that would kind of look, how many fans, if any, would be at Beaver Stadium and all the challenges that go with that. Just listening to his comments, I believe it was a town hall it It sure sounds like it's going to be uh, a very limited availability for Penn State fans if there are fans and there is football. I just don't know how you manage that, and i don't I think i it's almost feel I feels like Penn State's administration and all the people they have kind of looped in with this, the experts, they're really trying to figure this out day to day, and I think things are always changing. It has to be a very, very challenging decision. What are your thoughts on, if if Penn State does open the season in September against Kent State, what, what do you think Beaver Stadium might look like?
1: It's going to be eerie, don't you think? And it's going to be strange. And all this is going to be strange. All the procedures that go into it. I don't know. You know, he used the term Eric Barron did, highly restricted. And it sounds like he's talked to plenty of people in similar positions as him, who feel the same way that there's no way you can get any substantial number of fans in the stands. I don't know whether that means 100 or 1,000 or 5,000. I don't know. Maybe they don't even know what that means yet. But the bottom line, at big, huge Beaver Stadium, if you've got 1,000 people in the stands, <laughs> it, it's, it's going to look weird. And I, my, my other thought went to the whiteout game, you know, the the game each year that, Penn State is known for that environment that's that ranks among the best in college football the best in college sports how weird is that it's going to be a silver out with the bleachers
0: (laughs) I mean if there is a whiteout game it would likely be the Ohio State game and I I don't know that it's a very daunting task for the Buckeyes to come in to Penn State's Beaver Stadium if there's 2,500 people there I don't know I don't know that the whiteout will be as potent as it normally is we'll see how it it plays out. I just think that Penn State's administration really has a pretty huge task at hand. It's it's probably a thankless task. And the other component, Dustin, is if you're a Penn State fan or a season ticket holder and you have the opportunity to go to the games, would you even want to?
1: It's it's a fair question. And and how many season ticket holders are technically in that high risk category and shouldn't be doing this in the first place? And the other part, if, if there are fans, there's not going to be tailgating or any of the stuff that that game day experience is known for. There's going to be a whole lot of incentive for anybody. I don't care how much you love Penn State football to stay at home and watch this on TV. And my my question all along has really been, obviously, there are a lot of reasons that, that these universities, these programs have to play these football games. But to what extent are these guys just fulfilling TV contracts as opposed to going through something that resembles normalcy? And it certainly starts, it's starting to sound more and more like the fulfilling of TV contract and playing these games because you need to play them.
0: Yeah, I think the latter part, I, I would agree with you uh, on that point, Dustin. Before we get to some of your recruiting thoughts, just because I don't usually get a chance to talk to you, guy in her own backyard, Micah Parsons, third year outside linebacker, consensus All American last year. What can he do on the football field? there's football, it sure sounds like he wants to play, but he's going to be a third-year junior. He's healthy. He's a first-round pick. I think no questions asked. Just your thoughts on what Micah's growth, the fact that his college career, he could be entering his final season. And, you know, I remember talking to you. I think we did a, a recruiting show when he had signed, and we talked about how Penn State might use him, what his career might look like, his path to where he is right now. Um, to me, he's exceeded already what I thought he might be able to do at Penn State. I think he's got another level left to his game, which is frightening for the opponents. But just your thoughts on what you've seen from him and what he might do this year.
1: Well, just to go back to the beginning, and I know you haven't paid super close attention to recruiting all your time on the beat, but can you remember a bigger wild card in recruiting than Micah Parsons?
0: Uh, I think James Franklin, right even before he ever played, he said something like it was a roller coaster ride, and there are times when we maybe didn't think it was worth it. But just having seeing seeing him go through winter workouts and his athleticism, I think everyone agrees that it was worth it. That's I think before he actually even played. But he was an early Penn State commit. Then he was a decommit. I've, I I don't know how many times a kid is decommitted from a program and then recommitted. I, I think that's probably the longest of long shots. It sure looked like maybe Ohio State was going to be his destination. Penn State is able to get him back, and then, boy, he just has, it, you know, there were some anxious moments early when I couldn't figure out where to play him, Dustin, but once he got settled in, man, it was just lights out play. He's gotten better every game, but yeah, what, what a wild card, what a story, and just uh, the athletic ability you're seeing in the production that's matching the athletic ability. Usually, you don't see both. Usually, you don't see a phenomenal athlete who's also a great football player sometimes you see really great football players that aren't great athletes, but as good an athlete as Mike is, he's just as good as a football player.
1: Absolutely. And and I think, you know, his development because he has not been an issue almost at all when it comes to, you know, there are a lot of fans in the recruiting process who were, you know, we're better off without him. We don't need yeah. that draft, all, all that stuff. But you know what? There was a good chance he was going to be worth all of it. And you're right. I think as much as you expected from him and as much as the national ranking suggested that he was going to be really good, he's been better than I thought he would be. And I think to go back to the beginning, as you mentioned, starting him in the at middle linebacker, you know, looking back on that, I felt like that was just maybe a ploy to get him as immersed as possible in the, in the foundation of the defense yeah. and now, and now get into a spot where he can do all kinds of damage, you know? And I think that was the growth last year. You, you wrote something about him a couple of weeks ago and said that his reaction was faster you know this was that was year two of being a linebacker last year yeah you know speaking of athleticism and being a football player, how many players are are really able to learn a new position and lead the team in tackles two years in a row as you're learning that position yeah. so I think you know what you saw in the cotton Bowl can be a really good indication of what could be coming in the future of not just Filling gaps and getting sideline to sideline and closing uh on ball carriers faster than any human being should it's a, it's going to be using him in a way that he can absolutely destroy other teams' game plans and that's what he did against Memphis, and I think that's the next level that you're speaking of, and the next thing that he's going to show I, I have no doubt that he's going to show that at a, at a higher level than ever that he's going to be that that top ten pick
0: yeah but we're gonna, we're about to make a mica transition here on the Penn State Blitz and the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders, joined by uh, Dustin Hawkinsmith. Anyone who's kind of listening and enjoying what they're hearing and seeing, thank you for doing that. But we just want to encourage you guys to rate, review us, check out our uh, Penn State YouTube channel. We always enjoy your thoughts on what you th- how you think we're doing and what we can do better. So please continue to do that. We really enjoy doing it. We're going to move right along now, and we're going to talk about another Micah, somebody I think that, Dustin, I think you've had a chance to kind of really look into a little bit more, but, so Micah Bowen is the latest Penn State quarterback. He's going to be, I believe, arriving on campus very soon, if not this week, a talented player. Just curious, A, to get your thoughts on him and his potential, and also, how hard is it to come to play quarterback at Penn State, when you look at the depth chart and you see that the likely starter this year will probably be around another year, and the likely replacement will probably be around for maybe two or three more years as well, if you're Micah Bowens, it's a, it's a dawning task. Do you think maybe that might have impacted a little bit what Michael Johnson, the former Penn State quarterback, did and entered the transfer portal?
1: Well, I do believe that if you're going to go play for a quality Power 5 program, Penn State's depth chart is is in good shape, and it's really staggered out nicely. It's what James Franklin has been searching for for six years is to have that nice order of things where you have a nice transition from four to three to two to to starter, you hope. I think for Michael Johnson Jr., the fact that he arrived at the same time as Taequann Roberson, the fact that it looked like the writing was on the wall, that he was a step behind Taequann and how how are you going to overcome that? You know, you can you can easily, I'm sure, in that situation as a redshirt freshman, picture yourself being three years down the road, being still a half step behind, and you'll have spent all that time, you know, in meetings and never and never really playing. So I I get that completely. I think it's just part of where college football is, where there can be a super fine line between having too much depth and no depth whatsoever at quarterback. What a difficult position to try to not just recruit. But then to develop, which is maybe one of the most difficult jobs in coaching, and then to retain that talent, too. All that stuff together, uh, managing a quarterback depth chart, has to be as hard as it's ever been uh, before. So for, for Micah Bowens, you know, he was going to have to come in and he was going to have to face the idea of competing and, and working his way up. And I think most quarterbacks, most good ones, most ones that Penn State wants are going to be the competitive type who don't see that as, as an issue, who see that they have to compete anywhere they go. When it comes to Micah Bowen's game, you know he fits where Penn State is perfectly fine being. They don't need a guy who's six four. The Christian Bayou in the twenty twenty one class, he is, uh, right. but they don't they don't necessarily need that. Yeah. Um, they they're looking for a guy who competes, who a guy a guy who can be quick and accurate and and do all the intangible stuff that a quarterback can do that oftentimes is not built in very accurately into recruiting rankings. Just as they're not built into draft rankings, which is why. The quarterback position is the hardest to evaluate and develop uh, and really know what you're getting. But I think with Micah, you know, the thing that really jumped out to me was, I mean, number one, he plays for a really, really quality football program at Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. He um, looked very comfortable to me, not just throwing on the move, but throwing accurately from a dead sprint. And I think that that is a physical skill, but it also seems to me that there's a certain composure and a certain headspace that he's in in order to, to make plays like that. So I, I like him. I don't care that he's undersized. Penn State doesn't care that he's undersized. Um, the one thing I'd be open to hearing, and I, I don't really know, maybe you have an insight to this, is with Kirk Shiraka, are they going in a sort of a new direction when it comes to what they're looking for from quarterbacks? I think the fact that they got Christian Bayou doesn't support or refute that. But well, what do you think about quarterback recruiting and body types and and pocket passers? Is that is that going to evolve at all?
0: I think ultimately this is. I think James wants a quarterback that has the talent to do both. One, I, I do think Kirk talked about it. He's a guy that kind of gear his RPO around the talents of his athletes. You know, when he had Tanner Morgan last year, he's not a he's not really a gifted mover of the feet. So they were just essentially he could do it in a pinch, but it was all about getting the ball out quick, be accurate. Two tremendous, three tremendous receivers. I think what you're gonna see with Kirk is he's gonna he's gonna tailor his RPO to the talents of the quarterbacks. I think you'll see the quarterbacks run, especially when it's wide open, but they have to run the quarterbacks less. Watching the last two years and watching Trace uh in 2018 and watching Sean last year. They ran so much, Dustin, by, that by early, mid-November, they were beat up, and they were not, I don't think, very close to 100%. When you're going to run the ball over 100 times, and you're going to run the ball between the tackles, and you're going to absorb some hits, it's it's going to wear on you, especially playing against some of the defenses Penn State sees. You know, instead of running the ball 10 to 15 times, I think Kirk's probably looking at maybe, if I had to guess, he, I would say he's going to try and limit them to between four and six rushes a game, be smarter with the runs, uh, maybe maybe uh, hit the – coach him up to maybe try and avoid some punishment. It looked like Clifford and Will Levis sometimes sought it out. But I, I think you'll see the run. I think especially if he's got a- a- athletes who can kind of do that. I just think you, you need less of it or you're going to start running through quarterbacks pretty quick. Yeah, I think, I think Kirk Scirocco's offense in year one and year two is going to be pretty fascinating to watch especially since this year they didn't really have any time to get any on-field reps in because they didn't have any spring practice so I would think that's probably one of the biggest challenges Dustin facing Penn State if there's going to be football in the fall how soon can they all get on the same page especially on offense and how soon can Sean Clifford and Kirk get together where they're comfortable and Sean's comfortable and it's You know, he's not really thinking too much out there. He sees the guy open. He just gets the ball out because Tanner Morgan did a great job of that. But what would you say, you know, since since, you know, the Cotton Bowl, they just had a winter conditioning period. But we we've heard from a lot of coaches, a lot of players. Dustin, there's been some a lot of recruiting news. A couple kids have entered the transfer portal. What would you say has been the best thing about Penn State's offseason today, given all of the challenges, not just Penn State, but every program it's faced?
1: Well, I I don't know about the best thing in this case, but just, you know, hearing Noah Cain talk, I thought was, you know, it, it brought a certain realization to hear him talk about his family experience and having four people in his family contract COVID-19. And and just kind of, you know, to a lot of people, this this whole virus is a concept and something that they know exists, but they can't see it. They haven't been impacted by it necessarily. You know, my family, we haven't had, had a great impact of it, but to hear somebody in that position talk about being impacted by it It just brought that whole thing to life for me I think just as far as the offseason goes the recruiting I would say roller coaster I guess but just with the coaching staff changes and the inability to meet face to face with recruits for such a long time under those circumstances I know you mentioned not getting to work with the coaching staff to try to transition into new leadership and a new offense you know that that could be problematic but you saw it impacted in the way that they recruited, too, where it was a very slow start to the calendar year. They got hot after Landon Tangwall committed. They went on a run of adding nine or ten kids in a, a short amount of time. Uh, and now things have cooled off a little bit because some of the players that they're interested in, whether they're West Coast kids or whether they're kids who hadn't had a chance to come to campus yet, their decision making was altered because of all this. And they weren't able to to make their decision and visit Penn State. So I think Penn State lost out on a few kids because of all those circumstances, too. It's not a situation Greg and I talked about it last week. It's not a situation to panic if you're a fan, because Penn State has gone through these ups and downs before. You look at the 2016 class, for example, at the end of that, when they had coaches leaving and some a little bit of upheaval, that t- ended up turning out just fine for everybody. I think this is another situation. They need to start having practices and start having games and, and start showing what these coaches do and who they are. And then what will be really interesting, Bob? I know I'm going a, a long way off here, but what will be really interesting is the recruiting process. The kids who committed probably earlier than they would have because of the of the whole lack of business thing. Will they decommit and and flip at a higher rate this fall? Can Penn State get involved in that if they, if, if they get hot as a program? So the recruiting dynamic through all this has been fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, and one thing just real quick for me that I'll be watching is it, it hasn't played out yet, but I just want to see what happens with penn state and nolan rucci i know that he his dad played at penn state i think his brother plays at wisconsin he's a gifted i believe five star offensive lineman and he's got a pretty big decision to make and i think you know that's going to be one I, I think one of the bigger things watching this play out because penn state has done a fairly good job of getting some of the best players in the state but they've also missed a couple of times most recently with uh, with Julian Fleming. It's a big, big decision, I think, that that Nolan and his family probably have. Greg and I have talked about it, and a lot of people think that maybe he is going to go to Wisconsin. But I just think they got the new uh, offensive line coach and trout line in. I think he's viewed as a very good recruiter. Let's see if he can he can close the deal on, on Rucci. Do you have any thoughts on that before we uh, sign off? Any thoughts about how that might play out?
1: Yeah, an interesting dynamic. A Penn State legacy and then his brother Hayden is at Wisconsin and I don't think Penn State paid a lot of attention to him in the recruiting process. Does that factor in to the family decision at all that they're they're going to now cherry pick on the more talented of the Rucci brothers? And he's he's pretty freakish, Bob. There are certain traits and athletic traits and and the the way that his frame looks already that you you just you you can't teach that stuff. You know and and you picture and it's not like he's an undeveloped ball of clay. I, I think he's he's a good player but he's his ceiling is super high and there's a reason everybody wants him. I don't know where the decision's going to go. I I did see right. there's a little bit of traction for Wisconsin. All the national programs are involved. So it could go in any number of directions. I think this is a huge recruitment for Penn State. Maybe one of the bigger ones of Franklin's time here.
0: Yeah, I think so too, especially on the heels of I think the Fleming decision, and I, I just think that an off, you know, offensive line is something that they need to t- continually replenish, especially against the good teams. The games are one at scrimmage; they can't afford to let a talent like that get out to a to a rival program. It's rare when you see somebody as talented as him in the state of Pennsylvania, in your own backyard. So we'll see. We'll see how it happens. There's so many things that are going to unfold in the next. 10 weeks it's just like every week brings uh, something new with it Dustin but I wanted to thank you for stepping in this week I know you always do a great job I know you have got a lot of recruiting things I think planned in the next couple of weeks or so on Penn Live I'll be looking forward to that I think the fans will as well but thanks for doing this this has been the Penn State Blitz and the Penn State Blitz podcast I'm Bob Flounders joined by Dustin Hawkinsmith. we will see you guys next week